1 John chapter 1. Uh, last time we were together, we went through a quick overview of the whole chapter. Then we looked at the first four verses there in chapter 1. And we looked at some of the characteristics of God. Uh, that in this time period, there were different churches saying different things about God, saying different things about Jesus. Everyone had their own version of Jesus, if you would. And John, he comes with authority Having been with Jesus, having seen Jesus, having touched Jesus, having spent those three years every single day with Jesus, he gives us some of God's character traits, right? He told us that God is a light. We'll look at that a lot this morning. Later on in chapter 2, we'll see how God is love. And uh, later on as we close the book, we'll see how God is life. And again this morning, how God, he is light. We read how he is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Last week we mentioned how in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul mentions this verse and he says, now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is, is love. Love is the greatest of all these three things, these three things that abide in Christ, that should be abiding in us. We looked at some of the commonalities with Paul Peter and John and how their epistles are back to back throughout the New Testament. And Paul, he's known as the apostle of faith. So much of his epistles of his encouragement is that we would live a life of faith. Then Peter, he mentions the hope that we should have in Christ, the hope of our salvation, the hope we should have in the future. And then John is the apostle of love, right? And how throughout the Gospel of John, throughout 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he just talks about the love that God has for us and the love that we should have for one another. And again, I think it's interesting because John's known as the apostle of love. And yet here in 1st John, we're going to see him mention sin 10 times. He's going to talk about sin. For honest, we think that's not very loving, right? That's not very kind. To talk about sin, much less point out sin in other people. But John, he's going to mention it ten times. He's going to mention walking in darkness or living in darkness, being in darkness five times. And this amount of love in this apostle wants to warn us that if we live a life of sin and darkness, we will have nothing in common with God and with Christ Jesus. That if we're just living a life that's constantly in darkness, in sin, and in wickedness, we'll have nothing in common with God. In verse 5, he tells us, this is the message which we have heard from him, and what I've heard from him, I now declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Right? We should pay attention to this. Where does John get his base of who God is? From God. From God's word, John didn't say, I feel like this is God. I think that this is God. I deduct, I reason that this is God. John didn't say, this is who my parents said God was. This is what YouTube tells me Jesus is. This is what TBN tells me about God and church. No, John says, this is the message which we heard from him. And for each and every one of us, the basis, who we think God is, should come from nowhere else but God's word. And again, that's what John uses to defend. In this day and age, he's defending the false doctrine, right? The false prophets, Gnosticism. They're saying, God, that Jesus, he came down as only as a spirit. Spirit is perfect. The flesh is all sinful, At the end of the day, God only cares about our spirit so we can live however we want to live. 
Because at the end of the day, God just cares about our spirit. Right? Today, I don't know if anybody's just saying that, that Jesus was only a hologram or just a ghost, right? When was the last time anybody thought about Casper the Friendly Ghost, but that wasn't Jesus, right? But today, there's lots of doctrine saying that in the end, love wins, right? God, he's just a God of love, so he's going to welcome everyone and anyone. Sin, eh, it's not really sin. Come on, it's 2021. We've redefined a couple things, right? We've got to let God know what we've redefined as sin and not sin. But here, he's warning us that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. And John gathers this from what he's heard from God himself. A couple of verses you could just write down very quickly. In Psalm 27, verse 1, David says, The Lord is my light. Psalm 27, verse 1. In Psalm 36, verse 9, he says, For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. We could turn to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. Again, this is the same author as 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and also Revelation. But in John chapter 1, we'll look at verse 4 and 5, and also verse 9. And it tells us, In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You jump down to verse 8 and 9, it says, He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Speaking of John the Baptist. But then in verse 9, it says, That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Again, Jesus, he is the light of the world, right? He tells us that in John chapter 8, verse 12. And the mission of Christ was to instill in each and every one of us the light which can only come from God and from Jesus Christ. Now, what kind of a light is he talking about, right? We're going to have this sort of just night light that not anywhere we go, we sort of clap on and magically, right, lights are popping out of us, right? We know light, it's... A bunch of rays, there's energy waves, we can go into that science of it. But simply put, light is something that makes vision possible. You could have 20-20 vision, but in the middle of the night, it doesn't matter because you can't see where you're going, right? Our toes have great testimony of that, right? You hit the corner of the bed, you start speaking in tongues, and why? You can't see, there's no light in the room, right? There's no light in the room. But here John, he's not just speaking about lights on or lights off. What John is speaking of, what all the authors throughout the Bible are speaking of when they say that God is light, it's speaking of his holiness. It's speaking of his righteousness. It's speaking of his blamelessness. It's speaking of his purity, his perfection, and the goodness of God's divine nature. That's what it's telling us about. Not just telling us about light, but about his holiness, his perfection, his purity. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, you just write that down. We'll turn to 1 Peter in a moment. Leviticus 11, 45, he tells the nation of Israel, For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, a couple pages to the left if you're there in 1 John. 1 Peter chapter 1. Right, some of us were here and say, God being holy and calling us to holiness, that's, that's OT God, right? That's Old Testament God. That's not the God of the New Testament. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, 
Not only does he call us to be holy, but it's almost as if he doubled downs on what he requires of us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16, it tells us, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Again, God calls us to holiness because he is holy. And what manner of holiness does he call us to? Verse 15, be holy in all your conduct. Right? That word in the Hebrew, all, means all. All of our conduct. He doesn't just say, hey, you should be holy between 11 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. on Sunday morning. Be holy just on Sundays. Be holy just at church. No, all manner of conduct. Our conduct outwardly and our conduct inwardly. Right, almost with every single person, there's two conversations that happen. The actual conversation that's happening and the conversation we're having with ourselves in our minds, right? All these things that are happening, all these things that we're saying. Something's nice, something's maybe not so nice, right? Every aspect of our lives, God asks of us to be holy because he's holy. And he tells us there's no darkness within him. No, not at all. There's a double negative there. There's no darkness within God. Not even a speck. Now again, we've already said he's not talking about actual light and actual darkness. He's here speaking of wickedness. He's speaking of sin. Our God is light. He is purity. He is holiness. He is perfection. And within him there is no wickedness at all. Not even one speck of sin is within our God. Right? We have to be careful. Sometimes we question God, right? God, how could you allow this? How could the God of the Old Testament ask the Israelites to do this, that, or the third? How could he have picked David? How could he have picked so-and-so? We have to be careful with that. Because we can quickly say, God, I'm holier than you are. God, I am more just than you are. And I think what you did here is wrong and sinful, right? We have to be so careful of that. In James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Every good gift... And every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. James calls him the Father of lights, the Father of purity, the Father of holiness. And Father's Day, it's a great day for some of us. It's a difficult day for others. Some of us, we are blessed with a good dad, a great dad, a great example Someone that was a great example to us of who our Heavenly Father is. But some of us, we just had a deadbeat dad. Or just no dad in the picture whatsoever. Some of us here, you're fathers and your kids are all prodigals and you're hurting here on Father's Day. What hope we have that our God, the true Father, He is a Father of light. Father of perfect purity. Perfect holiness. There's no sin, there's no guile, there's no variation, there's no shadow of turning within Him. He is holy. On Wednesday night, we had a great time of testimony from the missions team. And Sophia was just sharing how she, she doesn't know her dad. She's never met her dad. But through the work of the church, she's gained many spiritual fathers. 
And again, that's my heart here for the church is that each of us, those areas, those relationships we're, we're lacking as we plug into the church and as we plug into the Lord, the Lord will naturally give us those desires of our heart. He'll give to some of us the parents we never had, the grandparents we never had, to some of us the kids we've never had, the grandkids we've never had, and that's all within the body of Christ. But that's only going to happen if we're plugging in and if we're pouring into this family. I'll never forget uh, one of the kids, uh, they moved to North Carolina, but Caden, he, he looked at my father-in-law. I miss him dearly today. But he looked at my father-in-law and he said, would you be my grandpa? I said, yeah, of course I'll be your grandpa. I started teaching him guitar and taking him fishing and all these things. But again, what joy, what sweetness can we have within the family of Christ because we have a perfect father. He is the father of lights. Now in verse 6, we get a great warning to us, right? He's established that our God is a God of holiness, purity, righteousness. There's zero darkness, zero wickedness, zero sin within him. So now he says in verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Again, there's a warning here to us that if our God is complete holiness... We can't be walking in darkness and say, yeah, God, we're, we're great, we're fine, we're perfect. Right? And I love how John starts, he says, if we say, right? And if we're honest, there's lots of people that say lots of things, right? And as you get older and older, you learn how to look at their actions more than to just listen to what they're saying. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, Jesus has the same idea here. He says, many will say... To me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? God, have we not cast out demons in your name? Jesus, we've done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Again, John is being this apostle of love. He's being very upfront with us. If we're walking in darkness, it doesn't matter what you say. You don't have fellowship with him. If we are walking, that is the pattern of our living, both inwardly and outwardly. If it's in wickedness, we will have nothing in common with God. Again, that word fellowship, it's a relationship of common relation, common interest, and common sharing. And now if God is telling us that there's not an ounce, there's not a speck of sin and wickedness and darkness within him, how can we be habitually walking and living and deciding, choosing, heaping up wickedness for us and say, God, you and me were fine. You and me were perfect. You and me were okay. He warns us it's not going to happen. We're lying. We are not practicing the truth. We're not going to have fellowship with him. John chapter 3, verse 21. Jesus tells us, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The very fact of us coming into this relationship with Jesus Christ means that we're putting away our wickedness. We're putting away our sin. We're saying, God, you say sin is evil and wrong. Lord, I agree with that, and I want to get rid of it. You can uh, write to your right, 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, right? Same idea here. He says, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 
Again, you can't have this fellowship, this intimacy with God and be living a life in sin. Let's turn quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Maybe you're like me and you just like things plain and simple. Here Paul is going to give us a list, very simply put, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And then after that we'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 through 11 And Paul tells us, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, neither thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Saying, don't get it twisted. Anyone who's constantly living this type of lifestyle It's not going to get into heaven. But we have so much hope here in verse 11. It says, and such were some of you. That was some of us. Some of us, our identity came from verses 9 through 10. And now as we go to Jesus, he becomes our identity. And now the old is gone. That's our former lust, the way we used to live. Verse 11, he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul goes even deeper into this, right? In 1 Corinthians 6, he warned us if we're living a certain way, a habitual lifestyle, this is our identity, who we are, we're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he warns us of even the people that we spend time with. The people that we're connecting our life to, our business to, our relationships to, our friendships, our marriages to. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 18, he tells us, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Again, God warns us the people that we're connecting our lives to. The people, in a sense, we're hitching our wagons to, right? Who are we dating? Who are we engaged to? Are they a Christian or not? Right? We can even go to the depths of even someone else, right, claims to be a Christian, but if their life is in darkness, got to step away from them. God allowed the Lord to do that work. And look at God's desire, verse 16 and 17. He desires to dwell among us. He desires to walk among us. He desires to be our God and that we would be his people. He desires to be a father to us and to adopt us as sons and daughters. All we have to do is put off the work of wickedness. All we have to do is put off the works of darkness. Right? Again, family, how much do we cherish that God desires to have fellowship with us? 
God, the creator of heaven and earth, his hope, his desire is to have a friendship with each and every one of us. Do we even care about that? Or do we care more about our sins? Do we care more about having a relationship with this world? Do we care more about this guy or this girl, right? Who do we care more about? Right, the husbands here, the wives, leading up into your engagement, your dating, your courtship, right? Some of you have to have a conversation. Honey, I know your best friend is a guy, but now I'm your only best friend, honey, right? None of you had that type of conversation, right? It's okay that you want to have a best friend with a guy. That's okay. We'll carry that on into the marriage, right? You could go on best friend beach dates, just you and him, right? That's okay, honey, right? No, hopefully in your marriage you have jealousy, a godly jealousy. And that's the same thing God has with us. He desires to have a closeness and oneness with us, but he's not going to share us with the world. Nor can we draw nearer to him if we're habitually walking in sin and darkness and wickedness. Jesus is not going to do that. He cannot do that. Sin coming close to God would be evaporated. It's not that God is so weak that like sin is his kryptonite and ah, he starts losing his strength. Right? If you remember in Exodus, God warns Moses. He says, hey, I can't go with these people anymore. Because if they keep walking in their sin, they're going to get evaporated if they come near me. And it's the same thing with us. God is not that he gets weakened when our sin comes near him. But we would be evaporated if we'd come near him in our sin. We go back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Right? We got the warning, the truth. If we're habitually walking in darkness, we can have no, we can have nothing in common. We can't have common relationship or friendship with God. But the good news is that in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Again, if we are walking in the light, if our pattern of living, both inwardly and outwardly, is in God's spotlessness, in God's holiness, in God's personification through Jesus Christ, His Son, then we'll have fellowship with one another as a result of us having fellowship with God. And again, family, this is how we grow. This is how we mature, by walking in the light, and spending more and more time in the presence of Jesus. And spending less and less time in sin and darkness. The more we walk with God, the more he rubs off on us. The more we walk with God, the more we'll look like him. The more we'll talk like him. The more his desires will become our desires. And it's not that we need to live perfectly in order to have this fellowship with him and with one another. We're all going to fall. We're all going to sin. But what is the overall, right? Overall, what is our pattern of living? And John, he makes things very clear, right? He uses that word walk. Walking is an activity. You got to be active. It's something you have to do. He doesn't just say ponder about being in the light. Contemplate about being in the light. Make a pros and cons list about being in the light. No, you have to walk in it. You have to be active. You actually have to do something within it, right? A couple of years back, they had this, what's the right word? They had this like show and I was talking about food and all these things, funny things you learn. Uh, but in fast food restaurants, they put salad on the menu. Their main reason is not that we'd actually order salads. The main reason is that when you just read salad, 
There's something in our brain that makes us feel better about ourselves and think that we're healthy, and then we're more prone to add some french fries to our meal. That's the whole reason why they did it. Just because we would ponder the thought, hey, look, there's a salad, right? I feel a little bit healthier. Let me supersize it, right? That's basically what they're saying. And John is saying, it doesn't matter if you ponder, right? Man, I should live a life of holiness. You know, I really should break up this friendship. I really should cut off this relationship. That doesn't matter. Just as much as pondering, saving money isn't really going to save any money, right? Thinking about being healthy or not eating the donut really isn't going to help you being healthy or not eating the donut, right? We actually have to be active in doing this. And the more we do this, the more we'll look like him. And added bonuses here, we'll have fellowship with one another and we'll have fellowship with God. Let's turn quickly to Ephesians chapter 5. If your fingers are tired, you can stay put. But in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8, Paul again speaks to the truth of who God is, of who we once were, and who we should now be in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 It tells us, for you were once, right, past tense, darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk, again, be active, do, as children of light. Verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Again, Paul tells us, God's word is telling us that we should have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather what we should be doing is exposing them. That's what our lifestyle should be as a child of the light. Not have been out with them. Not feel bad for them. Not just go along with it because you want to be loving. No, God's word says that we should expose them. Right? The third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. It's not the lovey spirit, the friendly spirit, the relevant spirit, the cool spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. So God's word tells us as believers, we shouldn't coddle people's sin. We should, one, stay away from it. And then we should expose it. Now we should expose it the way Jesus did, first and foremost, in private, in person. Right? Jesus dwelt among sinners. Jesus went to all the parties. Jesus did all the things. But he never once partook of their sin. He never once became a part of it. He always, right, shone his light onto the situation and called people out. I love John chapter 4, verse 14. You could just write it down, right? Jesus is there and he's speaking to this woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. In Jewish culture, a man would never speak to a woman. They would never speak to a Samaritan. And now this lady, she's both a woman and a Samaritan, right? So he's speaking to her and he gives her such great promise. John chapter 4, verse 14. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The problem for many of us is once we go down the path of darkness, you're never satisfied. 
You're never satisfied. You're always hungry for more. You're looking for something deeper. You're looking for something worse and worse and worse, and you're never satisfied. But if we come to Christ, as we looked at last week, right, verse 4, we get the full joy, fullness of joy, when we have that right friendship and relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can fulfill us. But here Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman in John 4, verse 14. He tells her the great promise, hey, I have water which will never thirst again. But now what's the very next thing that he tells her? Go and tell your husband. Then she says, "Uh, I don't have a husband. And he goes, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the man who you're living with right now is not even your husband. He exposes her sin right away. He gives her the truth of the gospel, and then he exposes her sin, right? What a word to us. Even in churches today, there are people that are living together, and they say, God sees us as we're married, right? It's like we just read in 1 John 1. They say, right? Doesn't matter what you say. Jesus himself said, lady, the guy that you're living with right now is not your husband. That's sin. It's darkness. So there's hope, there's a promise there, but we have to put off that darkness. We should be exposing it because that's why Jesus died. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for the sins of the world. So now are we going to coddle the very things that put our Savior on the cross? Are we going to coddle the very things that God's word warns us of? The wages of sin is death. And we're just going to hide it in our lives? Hide it in the lives of our loved ones? I'd imagine your, your child just playing with a little bit of arsenic and I just feel bad, right? You don't want to call him out. It looks so colorful. It looks so cute, right? Just let him play with it. That's how it goes when we let people play in their sin. When we have friendships that are based upon sin and we get together to sin, it's dangerous. Again, family, we were made for fellowship with God. That's our purpose for being on this rock. It's to have fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that is going to satisfy us for all of eternity. It's the only thing. That's the only well that we will never thirst of again. It's the ultimate experience in life. It's the only thing that will ever fulfill us. The only thing that will ever leave us truly satisfied. Right? Have you ever planned a vacation You're planning for the vacation. You're saving. you got it all planned. You finally go on the vacation. You get home after the vacation. And you're like... I need a vacation from the vacation, right? Didn't satisfy. You're thinking about this dinner, this anniversary, right? This marriage, this birthday, and it comes and goes, and I'm still here. This job promotion, this kid, this grandkid, this, and it always leaves us thirsty for more. The only thing that will satisfy us from here to all of eternity is being in that right relationship with God. And there's added blessings. Not only do we get the fellowship of the body of Christ, not only do we get the fellowship of God, but if we're walking in the light, it tells us the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's in the present tense. That's today. If we're walking in the light, Jesus' blood will continue to cleanse us from the sin within our lives today, right here, right now. This walking in the light furthers our process of sanctification. It furthers it that we are looking more and more like our Savior. John's not talking about the past tense, how Jesus died for our sins. He paid for us, right? He brought us, he adopted us into his family. 
He's not talking about our past tense, our salvation, our righteousness being bought by Jesus Christ, his blood and his sacrifice. Instead, he's speaking of the present tense today. He's willing. He desires to wash you from your sins right now. We're the ones slowing down the process. Right? I've never had a dog or not many pets. I had saltwater fish, so I don't think that really counts, right? But has your dog ever impeded your process of washing them, right? It's not you. You'd wish the thing would just sit there, you'd soap them up and just rinse them down and that'd all be over, right? But sometimes it doesn't seem like it wants to get in the water. If you have a baby, every baby's different. Some babies, they love the water. They're like just swimming in the tub. I remember Ella. I thought she was just like petrified of water, right? She was like hydrophobic or something, right? The first batch is screaming, just screaming, going nuts. She's the one impeding the process. And for us, when it comes to our process of holiness and sanctification, we're the only ones impeding the process. We are the only ones slowing it down. If we would continue to walk in the light, he will continue to cleanse us. You can write down John chapter 13, verse 10. It says, Jesus, he's speaking to Peter, and he tells him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. But it's completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. We don't have time to go into the full context of that. But Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, you're saved. You're clean. But as you walk about this world that's sinful, that's evil, that has darkness, some of that stuff gets stuck to you. And you need to let me wash your feet. It's the same idea here. right? How far can you get away without sin at this point in this day and age chasing you down, right? Every commercial, every advertisement in our phones, everything is just sin. It's evil. It's looking to devour us and our families. Again, parents, don't think that just giving your kid a technology right, or a tablet is saving you or protecting you. No, you're opening them up to the absolute most vile, darkest, worst things in this world. We need to be cleansed. We need to be washed. We need to allow Christ to continue to cleanse us each and every day. And from how much of our sins? From all sin, right? That word all in the Hebrew and the Greek means all. And his desire is to wash us of all of our sin, past, present, and future. Verse 8, he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. James chapter 4, verse 6, speaking of God, James says, He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Again, God desires that we'd have fellowship with him. God desires that we'd walk in the light so we could have even more fellowship with him. God desires to cleanse us with his blood. But if we say that we have no sin, if we say, God, I don't need any cleansing, you're deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. Again, pride and dishonesty will keep us from growing with God. Pride and dishonesty will keep us from growing with God. Right? A little tip, any married couple here, if you're having marriage problems and you come to pray with one of the pastors and you tell them you're doing everything perfect but everything is wrong with your spouse... Man, it's just the wrong answer. Just right off the bat. Right off the bat. We're going to pray for you more than, more than your spouse, right? Because you're lying, saying that you're perfect, you're awesome, you're incredible, and it's all your spouse's fault. You're deceiving yourself. And we often do that in our walk and relationship with God. Lord, I'm doing great. I'm doing awesome. What's going on here, right? My kids, they're perfect. Why do they not have friends in church? 
Maybe they're walking in darkness. And that's why they don't have fellowship with church, because their fellowship with God is messed up. Charles Spurgeon, he says, Our deceitful heart reveals an almost satanic shrewdness in self-deception. If you say you have no sin, you have achieved a fearful success. You've put out your eyes and you've perverted your own reason. For us to think that we're not sinful, for us to think we're not at fault, you've perverted your judgment. You're blind. Your pride has hardened you to the point where you honestly believe it's everyone else's fault and not your own. And today we live in a day and age where even the movies, the TV shows, the cartoons, there's not really any villains or bad guys anymore, right? Almost all of them have the saying, bad guys aren't really bad guys, right? Whenever I sit next to my kids, I'm like, no, there are bad guys. There are bad guys, there are good guys, right? Many movies, these villains, they never receive justice. Instead, the whole story, the whole movie, the whole episode is just showing us that they were justified in what they did. They were simply misunderstood. They simply were misguided. They had a rough childhood, and now they've made some mistakes. No one is perfect. And we need to be careful because this type of heart and attitude quickly takes root in our sinful hearts. We begin to deceive ourselves saying, I had a rough childhood. My marriage is not the best. My boss, my job is really jacked up. So this is why I did X, Y, or Z. I'm not really a sinner. I'm just misunderstood. I'm not really a sinner. I just made a mistake. I'm not really a sinner. I just slipped into this situation have to be so careful with this, right? I think of Jesus and he tells the Pharisees, those who are healthy don't need a physician. It's the ones who are sick and I've come for those who are sick. The problem is, is that if we're here today and we're saying, Lord, I'm not sinner. I'm not that bad. You're saying, Jesus, I don't need you in my relationship whatsoever. That's the whole purpose why he came. Jesus came to die for sinners. So if you're saying you're not a sinner, you have no relationship with Jesus Christ. That's his whole purpose for coming here. St. Augustine, he says, If thou shalt confess thyself a sinner, the truth is in thee. For the truth is itself light. Not yet has thy life become perfectly light, as sins are still in thee. But yet thou has already begun to be illuminated. Because there is in thee confession of sins. Again, family, we must speak the truth of God's word in our lives, and in the lives of others, right? Romans chapter 3 verse 23 tells us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, everyone, we all fall short. We all sin. We all make bad decisions against God's word. Let's speak the truth of that in our lives and in the lives of others. When we are here and we're trying to redefine what sin is and not sin is, right? It tells us the truth is not in us. Further on, we're going to see a progression here, right? He's going to tell us in verse 9 and 10, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. David Guzik, he says, we need to realize the victory and forgiveness that comes from saying, I am a sinner. Even a great sinner. But 
I have a Savior who cleanses me from all my sin. Again, there's victory there. There's safety there. There's freedom there. Let's turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 verse 10. Jesus here, he points out two different men. And here we see a great picture of the one who in their heart is saying, I am good, I am right, I am just. And the one who says, I'm a sinner. Luke chapter 18 verse 10 through 14 And Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Family, which of these two men are you? Which of these two men does your life, does your prayer life, do your conversations look like, right? At least I'm not like a so-and-so, right? At least I'm not a liberal, man. At least I'm not that. At least I'm not a Republican. At least I'm not a Democrat. At least I'm not a this. That's a dangerous place to be. Our heart should say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me. God, at least I'm not like my parents. Lord, thank you I'm not like my wife, right? That's a dangerous place to be. Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Again, that man, that's the man that went away justified, just as if he never sinned. One man thought he was righteousness. One man thought he was righteous. One man came to God, giving him his list of all the good accomplishments he has done. The other man just said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me? Right? We looked at that earlier. Jesus says, some will say, Lord, Lord. Did I not do this? Did I not do that? Again, their laundry list. Lord, I did all of this for you. And yet Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. That word confess is to say the same as. To say the same as. You're saying, Lord, what you say? Yeah. You're basically saying ditto. That's basically what you're saying. So when you confess your sins, you're saying, God, your word says this is a sin. Ditto. That's me. That's exactly what I just did. And when we do this, we're showing that our view lines up with God's view. What we're saying is, God, whatever you say, I believe. You say sin is evil and it's going to lead me to death. Lord, I believe it. I don't want death in my life. And when we do this, he's just and faithful to forgive us of our sins. That word confess our sins, it's in the present tense. Meaning that we don't just confess our sins once and for all. Jesus, I'm coming to you today. Forgive me of my sins once and for all. I'm going to save some time here in the future, Lord, so just forgive me in the future, right? Amen. No. But each and every day, whenever we fall, whenever we mess up, whenever we're convicted, we should be confessing our sins. Right? I hope none of the marriages, right? Your wife looks at you, husband on Father's Day, and just says, Honey, would you tell me that you love me? You just say, Woman, I told you that one day, right? 
I told you on the wedding day I love you. And that's it. Nothing's changed. I told you that's going to change, right? Now, hopefully that's, that's not you. I don't think your marriage will be intact if that was you, right? But that's, we can't go into that mindset with Christ. I don't have to confess my sins. God, he sees everything. He's all-knowing. It's a heart of pride, a heart of arrogance, a heart that is going to continue to drift away from God. Our confession maintains a repentant attitude. It keeps, it instills within us a heart of humility. And we should be very personal. We should be very to the point when we confess our sins before the Lord, right? Have you ever been hurt by someone? Someone does something wrong and they just say, I'm sorry if you took that the wrong way, right? Is that really an apology? They're just apologizing for you taking things the wrong way. That's all they're doing, right? And then sometimes we do that to the Lord, right? David Guzik, he says, confession must be personal to say, God, if we have made any mistakes, forgive us, is not confession. Because it isn't convinced. Saying, if we made, it isn't personal. Saying, if we, it isn't specific. Saying, if we made any, it isn't honest. Especially when we simply just say, mistakes. Again, we should own our sin. Why? When we own our sin, then we own Jesus being able to come into our lives and to cleanse us and forgive us from all sin and unrighteousness. Right? What we are saying is that, God, my fellowship with you is more important than my pride. That's all it is. Saying, Lord, my fellowship, my oneness, my relationship with you is more important than my pride. Lord, this sin and this wickedness, I'm not going to allow it to get in the way of my fellowship with you. Lord, please cleanse me and forgive me. Right? He says that he is just. He is faithful and just. He doesn't just do it out of a favor. Right? When you have a good friend, you guys do favors for each other because it's just a part of your friendship. No, it is God in his perfect law and order. If we come to him, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will forgive us for our sins. Charles Spurgeon, he says, this text means just this. Treat God truthfully and he will treat you truthfully. Make no pretensions before God, but lay bare your soul. Let him see it as it is. And then he will be faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And there should be so much hope here for us. The enemy condemns us and says, that sin... It's past forgiving, right? You knew better and yet you still did it. I can't forgive you for that. No, Psalm 103 verse 12, the psalmist writes, As far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our transgressions from us. Micah chapter 7 verse 18 and 19 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and he will subdue our iniquities. He will cast all of our sin into the depths of the sea. Again, that's God's desire. God's desire is to take all of our sin and to throw it far from us. Our pride wants to hold on to our sin and say, I can't say sorry for this, right? I'll just deal with this on my own. Finally, verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Right? Look at the gradual flow here. In verse 6, 1 John 1, 6 says, we lie. 
1 John 1.8 says we deceive ourselves. Finally, 1 John 1.10 says we make him a liar. Again, family, if we refuse to see the sin within us, we're calling God a liar. And it shows that his truth and his word is not in us. And if his truth and his word is not in us, then we don't have Jesus within us. And if we don't have Jesus within us, then we have no fellowship with him. Right? John 1, it tells us the word became flesh. It tells us the word is not in us if we're saying that we have not sinned. Again, we need to be so careful with our pride. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. I don't know how there's people today that believe in sinless perfection, right? You almost want to rub them and be like, oh, let me take your holiness and put it on me, right? Saying that you're perfect. You've never sinned. Once you come to Christ, you never sinned. Can I ask your spouse about that, right? Hey, is your husband perfect, right? Ask the kids. The kids will be blunt and honest with you, right? Your daddy says he's perfect. What do you have to say, right? It's a lie. It's, it's garbage, Finally, John Trappi says, No man was ever kept out of God's kingdom for his confessed badness, but many are for their supposed goodness. And a lot of people are going to be in hell because they were a good person. A lot of people are going to be in heaven because they're going to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, would you save me? Lord, I want to walk in the light as you are in the light. So again, family, just plain and simple for us. Put off those works of darkness, no matter how close they are to you, no matter what the cost is. Put off those sinful works of darkness. They're never going to fulfill you. Those relationships, those friendships, they're not going to fulfill you. They're not going to lead your life in a better direction. If they're another believer, you should be exposing them, trying to win them over because you're not doing them any service and you're not doing yourself any service. But we should be walking in the light because we're the children of the light. And if we do that, we're going to have greater fellowship with one another because we have greater fellowship with God.